Thank you, boys and girls, for bringing your Lottie Moon offering. Hope you'll continue to be bringing that offering and helping us to reach our goal this year. It's a great Christmas tradition to bring that offering. And, uh, you know, there are lots of great Christmas traditions. And one of my favorites is to either read or more likely watch one of the different versions of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I don't know if you guys love the story of A Christmas Carol. All right, it, it's a favorite. You know, there's so many versions. Now, I'm going to tell you, the very best version of A Christmas Carol is the Muppet version. I'm serious. It is the best version. A close second would be the Patrick Stewart version, okay? That, that's a pretty good one, too. But I really love him up at Christmas Carol. And, and the character of Ebenezer Scrooge fascinates me. I mean, when we first meet him, he's a one-dimensional character. And the only emotions he ever experiences are greed and disdain. That's it. But as we follow his story along the journey, he begins to change. And he experiences other emotions, such as guilt and remorse, and fear, and hope, and joy. You might remember that he was visited by three spirits, right? The ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Now, the ghost of Christmas past kind of forces Scrooge to face up with all the ways that he screwed up his life and the life of other people in past Christmases. We see him as a miserable, lonely schoolboy. We see him fall in love, but then spurn that love of his fiancée in favor of financial gain. He turns his back one by one on his family and his friends. And the purpose of these visions is to stir within Scrooge these feelings of guilt and remorse in a way for him to be convicted over his past sins. Now, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Now, that would bookend this Christmas Eve adventure with a chilling reminder that we must all pay for our sins, that the wages of sin is death, not just Scrooge's death, but also Tiny Tim's as well. Here at the end, when Scrooge meets this ghost of Christmas future, he's already a changed man. He's already different. In fact, when he meets this spirit, Scrooge says to him, Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I've seen, but as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? And of course the ghost doesn't give him any reply, and Scrooge says, Lead on, the night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. So, if he's already a changed man by the time he meets the ghost of Christmas future, what transformed him? It was his time spent with the ghost of Christmas present. That's what marked Scrooge's conversion, his, his moment of salvation, if you will. Now, what was it about Scrooge's encounter with the ghost of Christmas present that changed him? I mean, think about it. Guilt over his past didn't change him. Fear over future consequences didn't change him. It was what this ghost taught him that changed him, and that was joy. The ghost of Christmas present was all about joy. You remember Scrooge's catchphrase. What, what, what's Scrooge's catchphrase? Bah humbug, right? That's like the opposite of joy. In fact, that's a joy killer. If, if he met somebody who was full of joy and Christmas cheer, what would he say? Bah humbug. And Scrooge's life was one big bah humbug because he had closed himself off 
from love and from joy and from peace and from hope, is it any reason he hated Christmas? But in these visions of Christmas Day, Scrooge gets to see it through the eyes of other, other people. He gets to see the beauty of family and friends, the power of love, and the joy of Christmas, whether it's being celebrated by the wealthy or the poor, the healthy or the sick. Scrooge learns firsthand that purpose and peace and joy in life are not dependent upon your wealth or your health or your power or any outside circumstance. Listen to this brief passage from the book that talks about uh, some things that you don't always see in the movie, uh, but some of the things that he encountered that day. It says, Much they saw... Far they went, many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The Spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful. On foreign lands, and they were close at home. By struggling men, and they were patient in their great hope. By poverty, and it was rich. In almshouses, hospital, and jail, in miseries, every refuge, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the Spirit out, he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. Joy is what Scrooge saw on Christmas Day. Like Scrooge, we often confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is something we feel when uh, there's a favorable outcome to our circumstances. When when, when things that are favorable to us happen to us, we are happy. In fact, you think of that word happy and happen. We're happy because of what happens to us, but it has a very short shelf life. For soon, our circumstances can become unfavorable. Bad things can happen to us, and we're not happy anymore. Joy, however, is vastly different. It's independent of life's circumstances. Joy can flourish in the midst of disappointments and setbacks and hard times. Joy and peace are products of a hopeful heart. Joy is the outward expression of the inner peace that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. For this reason, when things aren't going my way, When I find out about someone else's good fortune, if I have joy in my heart, I don't resent them. I'm not jealous of them. Rather, I rejoice with those who rejoice. I congratulate them. I cheer them on. I pray for their success. Like Tiny Tim, I can honestly say, God bless us, everyone. Now, in our New Testament reading today, we heard some of Jesus' most profound words about joy and its transforming power in our lives. And this passage can help us understand how we can discover and hold on to joy, just as Ebenezer Scrooge did. And let's face it, if Ebenezer Scrooge can change, anybody can change, right? So let's look at this passage in John chapter 16 and discover how we can find and hold on to joy. Let's start it in verse 17. Jesus has been teaching them for quite some time. And it says, Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more? And then in a little while you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep 
and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So we see here first that we can find joy when we understand Jesus' Word. When we understand Jesus' Word. Jesus had just finished teaching His disciples that He was going to leave in a little while and they would see Him no more. But at the same time, this mysterious Spirit of truth, this Counselor would come in His place and somehow it was going to be better for them for Jesus to leave so this Spirit could come than for Jesus to stay with them. And so here in verse 17, we see the disciples are completely confused. They don't quite grasp what Jesus is talking about, so they're unable to do what Jesus says at the beginning of this long teaching in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, and that's, do not let your heart be troubled. Their hearts were troubled. They didn't understand. Notice in verse 17 and 18, Twice the disciples wonder, what does he mean? Actually, they wonder this more than twice because in verse 18 it says, they kept asking, what did he mean? What did he mean? What did he mean? They don't understand Jesus' words. Now, if you're like me, it's not just the original disciples who sometimes struggle with understanding what Jesus says, right? Amen? I mean, sometimes I struggle with understanding some of Jesus' teachings and especially what they mean to me today. How do I live this out in my life today, thankfully, Jesus is patient and He's understanding. He doesn't get angry because we can be dense sometimes. Isn't that good? Jesus, in fact, here in this verse, acknowledged their confusion and repeated what He told them in verse 16 and offers some additional explanation, an explanation that contained a great promise. He said they would experience a time of sadness and grief, but their grief would turn to joy. That's the beautiful promise and power that is ours when we understand God's Word. Confusion turns to truth. Grief turns to joy. Now, truly, in a little while, the disciples were going to weep and mourn because the next day, what's going to happen? The very next day, Jesus is going to be crucified. They're going to see their master, their friend, their Messiah killed on a Roman cross and placed in a borrowed tomb and they're going to weep and they're going to mourn. So they needed to understand in that moment that they would see Jesus again personally after His resurrection. But then again, after Jesus ascends back to the Father, they're going to weep and they're going to mourn. They're going to be sad to see Him go. And so in that moment, they also needed to understand that Jesus would continue to be with them and within them, but in a different way. Through the dwelling of God's Holy Spirit, that counselor, that spirit of truth that He talked about. And the truth that this Spirit was going to speak to His followers are nothing less than Jesus' own words. The counsel He gives is the counsel of Christ. So whenever we find ourselves confused by our circumstances, we wonder why do bad things happen to good people. We cry out, How long, O Lord, will You make us put up with life situations? When we're walking through the valleys of grief, and sadness, we can turn to God's written Word for clarity and for comfort and find joy. Consider in the Christmas story itself two men who are grieving very opposite things. We meet Joseph. 
Joseph is grieving his fiancée's pregnancy. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, Joseph is confused and upset over the discovery that his fiancée was pregnant and he knows it's not his. Had she been unfaithful? Had maybe someone taken advantage of her? But the story that she's telling about angel announcements and that the baby she's carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, what is Joseph to make of this? Is she lying? Is she crazy? It's understandable that Joseph had a bad feeling about this. He didn't understand what it meant or what he should do about it. Should he publicly accuse her of infidelity and see her stoned to death? Which is what the law called for? Or should he quietly divorce her and let her go about her own way? Either option left Joseph feeling dead inside. Brokenhearted. Grief-stricken. And that's when God speaks to Joseph. Through an angel in a dream. And by God's Word, Joseph understands the truth. He understands what he must do. And he discovers the joy of peace as he trusts God against all reason. He discovers the joy of hope as he obeys God against all odds. His grief and confusion are turned to joy because of what God said. Now, Joseph was grieving Mary's pregnancy, but Zechariah was confused and grieving over his wife's barrenness. He, he grieved Elizabeth's barrenness. We find Zechariah's story in Luke 1. He and his wife were, were grieving in confusion, wondering why it was that they were barren. Why could they not have children? They saw these other people having children, and, and had they not been faithful, had he not been a faithful priest to the Lord... Had they not been, as Luke describes in verse 6, he says, both of them upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were blameless. So God once again speaks through an angel while Zechariah is offering incense in the temple. Now, unlike Joseph, though, Zechariah is a little slow to understand and trust and act on what God tells him, resulting in sort of a nine-month gag order. But once his son is born, Zechariah confirms what Elizabeth said, and that is that the son is to be named John. And at that moment, Zechariah can speak, and he rejoices in song. He was confused and in grief, but because of God's Word, he rejoices. Throughout Scripture, we read the testimonies of the power of God's Word to turn our grief and confusion into joy. Just listen to a few of them. In Psalm 119, Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I rejoice in Your promise like one who finds great spoil. The prophet Jeremiah said, When Your words came, I ate them, and they were joy to my heart. They were my joy and my heart's delight. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling the parable of the soils. And He explains, He says, "...the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the Word and at once receives it with joy." And in Luke 2.10, "...but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great..." What? Joy for all the people." 
the Scriptures connect God's Word with joy again and again and again. Because God's Word from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is all good news that brings great joy. See, at its core, Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of doctrines. Christianity is news. It's the best news that's ever been told and ever been heard. Luke begins his gospel with angels bringing shepherds good news of great joy. And he concludes his gospel with the disciples after Jesus ascends to heaven with this. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Matthew begins and ends his gospel with good news that brings great joy. So no matter what's going on in your life this Christmas, turn to God's Word. Pray for God to give you understanding and discover the joy of trusting and living by God's true Word. Now, another source of joy back in John 16 is found as we abide in Jesus' presence. Listen to what he says in verse 21 and 22. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Jesus comforted His disciples by telling them that they would see Him again. And He uses an analogy that's especially relevant for us in the Advent season because it's the season of waiting. Just as Joseph and Mary waited for Jesus to be born, just as we, we wait to celebrate that birth. And though at the time it may seem long, the pain of labor in reality is very short. But this analogy is more than just our perspective on suffering and waiting. This analogy about a woman in labor and then forgetting her pain because of the joy that has come, a child's been born into the world, is about more than just waiting in the midst of trials and difficulties because it tells us something important about the kind of joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. Not just when we get the joy, but what kind of joy is it? Think about this. There's a difference between our grief turning into joy and joy just following after a time of suffering. Take, for example, an illness. If you're sick and then you get better, you rejoice, right? You have joy because you're no longer sick. The cause of your grief has gone away. That's one kind of joy. But the kind of joy that comes with the birth of a baby is different. When pregnancy culminates in delivery, the cause of the pain becomes the cause of joy. Your grief has literally given birth to joy. And without that pain leading up to that birth, there would be no baby. There would be no joy. Now, this is an easy application if you're talking about the literal birth of a baby, right? But what about other times when we struggle, when we suffer, when we experience pain, when we have to make difficult sacrifices? How can we find joy in those moments? By the abiding presence of Christ within us. 
earlier in this teaching on the night Jesus would be betrayed, he taught about the importance of his followers abiding with him and he with them. And he, he used another analogy, an analogy about branches and vines and fruit. Listen to what he said in, in John 15, verses 4 and 5. He said, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as we've already discussed, the way that Jesus would remain in them and abide in them and they in him would be through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. The only way that we can have that peace that passes understanding that we talked about last week, the only way that we can have a joy that laughs in the face of trials and suffering is if it doesn't come from us. You and I can't produce that kind of peace ourselves. We can't generate that kind of joy or hope ourselves. This kind of peace and joy and hope are the fruit that is produced by God's Spirit as He lives in us and we stay connected with Him. And we see this truth illustrated once again in another part of the Christmas story. We see it first in Mary as she rejoices because she literally is carrying the presence of Christ within her. She's carrying the baby Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, Mary goes to spend uh, much of her pregnancy with her older cousin Elizabeth, who herself is miraculously pregnant with John. Mary is literally, like I said, carrying Jesus within her as a willing servant of God. And so more so than your typical expectant mother, Mary is filled with great joy, which she expresses by praising God. Now, Matt referred to this earlier and read part of this in, in verses 46 through 55. It's a passage that some people refer to as the Magnificat. And I want you to look at these verses with me. The ultimate source of Mary's joy as her soul magnifies the Lord, as her spirit rejoices in God her Savior, is the fact that God has noticed her and paid attention to her. He has blessed her among all women with this most special and sacred task. But beyond that, she goes on to rejoice that God is a God of mercy for all people and to all generations. She rejoices over His past deeds of justice and righteousness and salvation. Mary was overcome with joy because of who God is and what God was doing. And she worshipped and praised Him with joy. Now let's look at the other person in this story, and that is Elizabeth. And John, whom she's carrying, they rejoice just to be near Jesus. I mean, think about this. Before Mary's song, let's just look at this story in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. The presence of Jesus is so powerful that even in the womb, He moves others to rejoice. Think about that. Just being near the pre-born Christ was enough to make the pre-born John the Baptist leap with joy and Elizabeth to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful experience. And notice that just as Mary expressed her joy by worshiping and praising God, Elizabeth expressed her joy by blessing Mary. And you know what? Those are both good models for us. When we experience the joy of Christ's presence, it should drive us to both worship and praise God and to bless the people around us. And to encourage other people to know and follow Jesus. Finally, this morning, we can know true joy as we pray in Jesus' name. Look back with me there at John 16, beginning in verse 23. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, in verse 23 here, you see the word ask two times. Those are actually two different Greek words. And they would really better be translated inquire and request. Now, there's a difference between inquiring and requesting, isn't there? To inquire means to ask about something, to ask for information, right? Whereas to request means to seek a favor. It means to seek help when you're in time of need. What Jesus is saying to them is that there's going to come a day when they can no longer inquire of Jesus as they had just done in verse 17 and 18. Because Jesus would no longer be physically present with them. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the counselor he's sending, would actually teach them himself and would remind them of everything that Jesus taught. But Jesus says that he will be at the Father's right hand, making intercessions for us. So we can still come to the Father through Jesus to make our requests for His help, for His strength, for His provision, for His protection. Now, asking in Jesus' name is not a magical formula. Right? It's not, if I just say, in Jesus' name, amen, then that's it, I'm going to get whatever I ask for. That's not the way that works. What happens then when we pray in Jesus' name? Well, it connects us to Him by faith. It honors Him as God. It proclaims His Lordship over our lives. One New Testament scholar put it so much better than I can. He said, Praying in Christ's name means coming only in His merit, not ours. Christ's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, it is this name whose merit we must humbly pray. We cannot think that somehow God will hear us because of our virtue, can we? We come by merit of His virtue. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Now, Paul connects this whole idea of joy and prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at what Paul says. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is God's will for us that no matter what our outward circumstances, we would always, at all times and in all places, rejoice and pray with thankful hearts. Again, true joy is independent of life's circumstances. As we said earlier, joy often flourishes in the midst of and is even born from the struggles and the trials of life. And the only way we can find joy in those times is by trusting in God's Word and abiding in Jesus' presence and praying in Jesus' name. And once again, we see another great example from the birth stories of Jesus is another couple, Simeon and Anna, rejoiced at meeting Jesus while they were praying in the temple. In Luke chapter 2, several days after Jesus' birth, Joseph takes Mary and the baby to the temple for his circumcision and for rites to purify Mary. And while in the temple, they first meet old Simeon. Listen in Luke chapter 2 to this account. Beginning in verse 25, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them. Now, I want you to notice a few things. Simeon prayed continually in the temple. Just as Paul, we saw, Paul tells us to what? Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. That's what Simeon was doing. Waiting expectantly for God to reveal the Messiah to him. And God answered those prayers. As Simeon was praying, Jesus comes to him. And notice that in his joy, Simeon followed the same pattern as Mary and Elizabeth. In his joy at meeting Jesus, Simeon both praises God and blesses Mary. And almost immediately after that, the prophetess Anna approaches. Now Luke says, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And in the midst of her worship, in the midst of her fasting and praying, she too meets Jesus. And she rejoices by thanking God and by going and proclaiming Christ to everyone around her. This morning, as our instrumentalists come, I want you to consider that you have come to this time and this place today, just as Anna and Simeon went to the temple, you have come here to worship. You have come to pray. My question for you is, have you met Jesus this morning?
Has Jesus come to you? Have you placed your hope and trust in Emmanuel, the God who is with us? In Jesus, the warrior Messiah who has come and is mighty to save. Do you know His peace? Has He given you reason to rejoice? No matter what you're struggling with this morning, no matter the doubts or the depression that you may face, the fears or the anxieties that you may be struggling with, no matter your sins or your shortcomings, Jesus today wants to turn it all to joy. He wants you to know and understand His Word. He wants you to experience His abiding presence and He wants you to abide in Him. He wants you to come to the Father in His name and ask for whatever it is that you need. Jesus, right now, at this moment, wants you to know complete joy. Would you come today and cast all your cares and burdens upon the One who so deeply cares for you? Will you trust Jesus to save your soul to forgive your sins, to give you a fresh start? Will you experience the joy today maybe of church membership or answering His call to serve in His kingdom? Whatever God has spoken to you today through this message, experience the joy of responding and obeying as we stand and as we sing together.